0: Hi there! Welcome to Season 2, Episode 18 of the Heart-Centered Horsemanship Podcast. This is Kimberly Horman, and today we're going to take an in-depth look at the horse's back. This information is from one of my textbooks called The Horse in Motion. It was written by Sarah Pilnier, Samantha Elmhurst, and Zoe Davies. And as far as I can tell, it's open source. If anybody has a conflict, please get in touch with me. I will take it down immediately, but I did want to go into detail about the horse's back and I just loved this chapter. So I'd like to go over it with you all in hopes it will help you learn some stuff you didn't know before about your horse's back. So let's get started. The back is that part of the spine between the neck and the tail. It supports the thorax and abdomen suspended beneath it. In the pregnant mare, it also supports the weight of her unborn foal. However, your horse's back is not designed to carry the weight of a rider and a well-fitting saddle is essential to minimize back problems. The strength of the back results from the combination of bones, ligaments, tendons, and muscles, which ensures the spine in this region remains relatively rigid. The neck and tail are much more flexible than the back. The tail is an active fly swatter and an indicator of discomfort. So let's talk about flexibility of the spine. Contrary to popular belief, the spine from the withers to the top of the tail is only capable of A very minor movement in both the up and down and side to side directions. Such movements can be brought about by the forces transmitted via the hind limbs. Sometimes movement in one part of the spine are related to movements in another region. For example, when the head and neck are lowered the back appears rounded whereas when they're raised the back appears hollow. As far as confirmation goes, to be strong, the horse's back must be short. A rule of thumb is that there should be no more than a hand's width between the last rib and the point of the hip. A horse with a long back will be weak in the loin region and will find it difficult to engage the hindquarters. However, a horse that is very short in the back may lack flexibility. The entire area of the back is covered by a very dense sheet of deep fascia, which is a form of connective tissue surrounding the muscles and separating those groups of muscles. This fascia forms the tendon that attaches to the thoracic and abdominal muscles and attaches to the spinous processes of the thoracic and abdominal processes, merging with the supraspinatus ligament. The epiaxal muscles lie underneath this. The vertebral column is a combination of the neck, withers, back, and tail. Besides support, the main function of the vertebral column is to provide protection and to house the spinal cord, which carries nerve impulses to and from the brain. Vertebrae make up a long bony chain to protect the spinal cord. At each vertebra, a pair of spinal nerves branches off from the spinal cord to penetrate every part of the horse's body. Muscles are attached by their ligaments to the lateral and articular processes of the vertebrae, enabling the horse to move. The spinal cord ends in the middle of the sacrum, where it sends out nerves to supply the horse's tail. Now each vertebra has the same basic shape. There's going to be a main body or a centrum, an arch surmounted by the dorsal spine, a pair of transverse processes of variable sizes and shapes, and two pairs of articular surfaces. Then we have the intervertebral discs. The degree of movement of the spine depends on the thickness of the intervertebral discs that are firmly attached between the vertebrae. As the horse gets older, the discs become calcified, thus joining the vertebrae together. There may even be further outgrowths of bone acting as bridges across neighboring vertebrae. There are 18 thoracic vertebrae, each separated by cartilaginous intervertebral discs. The spinous processes are very large, giving the horse its pronounced withers, and allowing extensive muscle and ligament attachment. The withers are the highest point of the thoracic spine and are formed by the third to tenth thoracic vertebrae. The withers are held firmly in place by ligaments between the vertebral spines and other muscles and ligaments attached to them, including part of the nuchal ligament. Movement between the horse's thoracic vertebrae is strictly limited. The lumbar vertebrae make up the loins region. There's normally six lumbar vertebrae, sometimes only five. In some breeds, particularly the Arabs, there's an extra thoracic vertebrae that's found. The width of the transverse processes and the length of the dorsal spines characterize the lumbar vertebrae. These vertebrae carry three extra articular facets, making the horse different from most other mammals. These limit movement of the spine in the lumbar region. However, it should be remembered that the loins are the most flexible and vulnerable part of the back. A well-designed and correctly fitting saddle, ensuring the rider's weight is not taken onto the loins or the vertebral column, will help to protect the horse's back. And then we have the sacrum. The triangular sacrum is a composite bone made up of five vertebrae which fuse together when the horse is four to five years old. The sacrum forms an integral part of the pelvic girdle providing a firm link between the hindquarters and the trunk. The first sacral vertebra has an enlarged transverse process called the sacral wing which forms a synovial joint, the lumbosacral joint, with the transverse process of the sixth lumbar vertebra, the underside of the sacral wing forms the SI joint with the ilium of the pelvic bone. When we look at the tail, there's normally about 18 coccygeal or tail vertebra, but it can vary, so it can vary from about 15 to about 21 and they decrease in size from the first to the last. Now, when we look at the joints of the horse's back, um, there's actually a lot of them that are very important. And we'll start with the SI or sacroiliac joint. This joint is a combined synovial and fibrocartilaginous joint, and it doesn't move. It's supported by ventral, dorsal, and lateral sacroiliac ligaments. Next, we have the lumbosacral joint. In this joint is part of the spine. It acts to transmit the impulsion generated by the hindquarters. Its flexibility, although limited, allows the pelvis to rotate forwards under the horse's body during movements like the canter and gallop and when engaging the hindquarters to raise the back. This rotation mainly takes place when both hind limbs move forwards. Even though the lumbosacral joint has limited action, the ability of the horse to move well is dependent upon its full function. At the walk and trot, both hind legs move in opposite directions because the lumbosacral joint is incapable of sideways flexion. Some of this movement is taken up by the sacroiliac joints. For maximum effectiveness, the lumbosacral joint should be positioned as far as possible in front of the SI prominences or the point, point of the croup. If a horse's back is long, there's additional leverage on the lumbosacral joint, increasing the stress put on the area by the rider's weight and the demands of engagement this area can be supported and strengthened with the correct muscle development. There are also a lot of very important ligaments. So the ligaments of the spine are important in helping to keep the individual vertebrae in place and giving the back strength and stability. There's the supraspinous ligament The supraspinous ligament runs along the back from the sacrum and joints together at the top of the spinous processes of all of the lumbar and thoracic vertebrae. In the withers area, the ligaments flatten to form a broad sheet, extending on either side almost to the scapular cartilages. Another important ligament is the nuchal ligament. In the neck, the supraspinous ligament is modified to form the nuchal ligament, which is strong and elastic. The lamellar part of the nuchal ligament is made up of two sheets running down either side of the neck, which attach to the cervical vertebrae. The funicular part runs from the withers up the neck to the pole, where it attaches to the occiput of the skull. Where the ligament runs over the withers, the supraspinous bursa, which contains lubricating synovial fluid, reduces friction. This lies between the second and fourth thoracic spinous processes and is the site associated with the condition termed fistulous withers. There's also some sacroiliac iliac ligaments that support the SI joint. Next, let's take a look at the musculature of your horse's back. First, you have the trapezius. And the trapezius is a flattened triangular sheet of superficial muscle, the base of which arises in the area of the neck, withers, and thorax from the funicular part of the nuchal ligament and the supraspinous ligament back to the 10th thoracic vertebrae. The thoracic part of the trapezius muscle originates on the thoracic vertebrae and inserts into the scapula. As stated before, its action is to draw the scapula up and back to lift the shoulder. And I think we talked about that when I was going over the walk. Um, If you missed that one, I think it's a couple of episodes back. But we did talk about that and just its job there to pick the scapula up and back, which lifts the shoulder. Next, we have the latissimus dorsi and that lies behind the shoulder, covering the side of the chest and extending up onto the back. The muscle passes from the upper part of the thorax onto the rear of the humerus and its action is to pull the forelimb back. When the forefoot is on the ground, contraction of the latissimus dorsi moves the body forwards over the limb. Both trapezius and latissimus dorsi are large flat sheets of muscle. The fibers tend to be long and run more or less parallel to the long axis and their attaching tendons are also sheet-like. Because the range of movement of a muscle depends on the length of its constituent fibers, sheet muscles like these produce large movements. Next, we have the epaxials. The epaxial muscles, they help convert the backbone from a chain of individual bones to a rigid structure, which then of course is strong enough to carry the gut and transmit the power from the hindquarters to the front end of the horse. The epaxial muscles are made up of three main components, the iliocostal and longissimus in the back and loins, in the spinal and semispinal parts of the transverse spinal component in the back and neck. Another important muscle would be the longissimus dorsi, which is in the thoracic and lumbar regions. The longissimus dorsi is the largest and strongest muscle in the horse's body. It helps to form the contours of the horse's back, running from the pelvis and sacrum along the back to insert on the thoracic vertebrae. This is the muscle on which the saddle, and hence the rider, sits. Its role is to transmit the forehand, the propulsion generated by the hind limbs. The epaxial and longissimus dorsi muscles control the movement of the back, thus the flexor Abdominal muscles contract to extend the back a little more round, and the extensor muscles, which are the muscles along the top of the spine, contract to flex or hollow the back. But these movements are minor. Let's keep that in mind. Another really important aspect of your horse's back are the nerves. So the spinal nerves make up a regular series of 42 pairs that arise from the spinal cord. There are 18 pairs of thoracic spinal nerves and six pairs of lumbar spinal nerves. The spinal nerves carry messages from the spinal cord to the muscles and skin of the limbs, and from there, back to the spinal cord. So now let's shift to back injuries and their prevention. The horse is designed to move forward at a high speed rather than to jump and move laterally, as is required for some sports. The muscles of the back are therefore particularly prone to injury when the horse is asked to carry out difficult maneuvers. When working a horse, the aim is to round and strengthen the back and engage the hindquarters. A horse's back becomes slightly rounded when the abdominal and spinal flexor muscles are used. The contraction of the abdominal muscles tilt the horse's pelvis forward and brings the hindquarters more underneath the abdomen. To tilt the pelvis, there must be some movement in the lumbosacral and SI areas together with movement of the associated ligaments. Injury of the SI ligaments is a common cause of back pain in horses. That jumper's bump, where you can kind of see the point of the croup, um, that becomes overly prominent, and it may actually be a sign of long-term SI problems in some horses. As with most sports injuries, these problems can be avoided by warming your horse up thoroughly, Gradually increasing the difficulty of your exercises, giving short periods of walking and stretching during schooling, avoiding tension, avoiding overwork or fatigue, and cooling the horse down thoroughly. like to thank you all for joining me today and just taking a listen to this really interesting information, for me anyway, about the horse's back. It's really interesting to picture and think about what you're truly sitting on when you're riding your horse. Um, it's, it's an incredible experience and we should not take it for granted as riders. So as always, thank you for being here. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can find me on heartcenteredhorsemanshipacademy.com or you can send me an email Kimberly at heartcenteredhorsemanshipacademy.com. As always, let's make sure your next ride is a confident, harmonious, and happy one. And we'll talk soon. Take care.